Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I'm here with Joe Hilliard. And we have, just as we have for the last few weeks, uh, a special guest here with us, um, one who loyal listeners are going to remember because he's been with us before. Mm -hmm. This is my good friend um, and BAM aficionado, BAM uh, luminary at this point. I mean, you're you're, you're, uh, Anthony Zoccalillo. Hello, guys. Hey, man. uh, We're so glad that you're here. He's a friend of mine, too, David. Don't hog (laughs) him. No, he's a friend of the pod. He's a friend of all. Yes. He's a very friendly guy. I am. I remember that he filled in for me. Yeah. When I couldn't, uh, something happened and I couldn't make it when we discussed Joker. Yes. And uh, he did such a great job, but, uh, you know, it was a lot of resentment. A contentious and, film, but a great discussion. And yeah. One that uh, it's it's fun to, uh, I've, I've returned to that. So I bring to the table tonight uh, some feelings because uh, <laughs> that is the number one listened to podcast to this day episode of ours. And, uh, you know, so maybe. Well, let's see if we can top it with this one. With your uh, psychologist background, you can help me sort through some of the feelings that I'm having. I, uh, rage, uh, jealousy. Sure. Etc. Yeah, no, I can help you with that. Actually, I have a bit. Of information that might actually make you feel better. Okay, so we'll, you, get to, we'll get to that. The okay. Zocalillo family is vast. And <laughs> okay, I feel better already. Thank you. Well, th- before we get too far down any road or pathway here, uh, talking about any films, past or present, uh, we need some beer in our glasses. And this week we have a not just a return guest on the mic, but a return brewery, mm. uh, one that's hit our five-timers club, Joe. Right? Real Ale is one of my favorites, David. Real Ale Brewing out yep. of Blanco, Texas. Yep. This is a hazy IPA they're doing called Hop Sprocket. It's 7.3%, pretty nice. hefty for an IPA. Uh, I'm going to pour this into my glass and get excited to taste some. Yeah, I, uh, I'm way ahead of you, brother, and uh, this thing <laughs> is definitely hazy. Nice brother. head. Put your nose in there. Because it's, uh, it's nice and tropical. Very that hoppy. Is, uh, very nice. Very nice. That's what you want with hazy. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's, let's hope it stays inside our bodies during the recording. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and he brings that up for good reason, folks. <laughs> I, I brought it up because there's a scene where foods and libations don't stay in everybody's bodies. In the right. film that we're going to be discussing tonight, Triangle of Sadness. Back in episode 78, we uh, reviewed, discussed director Ruben Oshlin's fantastic movie, Force Majeure. Yeah. And that uh, sticks. That's a movie that sticks with you. Yeah, it, it was remade. Our new release that week was Downhill, uh, a remake of that film, uh, the American version, starring Julia Louis Dreyfus and Will Ferrell. That I think all of us felt didn't live up to the original. One I wish I could forget. Now, since that film, he has made a movie I haven't seen, but it won the Palme d'Or the year that it came out, Square. Mm-hmm. And I'm eager to see it now because we're going to be discussing his 2022 Palme d'Or winning. Triangle of Sadness. Yes. And, I mean, last year we loved the 2021 Palme d'Or winner, Titan. So that seems to be a festival over the last couple of years that we've really, I don't know, gelled with. Well, and Parasite was just a couple of years before that, You're right. right? Yes, so, I mean, right. we, yes, we, we have a track record of... Uh, of heaping love upon Palm Door winners. Sure. Oh my gosh, we're we're just con fanboys. <laughs> yeah, we are. One day we'll be there. Okay, so the plot follows mainly Carl and Yaya. They are fashion models and you know bloggers, influencers on social media, 
who the film is in very three distinct acts, title cards in front of each one. The first one, the first act is kind of a look into their relationship in the fashion world. Uh, they get into an argument because she makes a little bit more money than him. She's ascending in this world. He's descending a bit and over a, a bill that comes at dinner. Um, then they find themselves on act two on a mega, have you, either one of y'all been on a cruise before? I have. Yeah. Okay. Like Not a like that. Carnival yes. or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, one of that kind of thing. Yeah. This is a super luxury cruise. The, the very yacht, elite, right? Yeah, very elite. Not, not quite as elite as the, and this gets referenced in some reviews of this film, the below deck series. Have you guys ever, no, I, I this is a reality show series that is about, Crews, the, the crew, the staff oh, of these very elite private yacht crews, but where you you rent the entire thing, sure. but there's you know at your beck and call while you're there. This is still a group. I mean, you you're have multiple passengers. They're not not all connected, um, but still pretty high luxury. Now they're they're invited for free. To be on the cruise, but everyone else that's there—a series of couples. It's not a like like a carnival cruise where there's hundreds or maybe a thousand people on board. It's just a, a handful of couples, families that are on this thing, and um, we—that's when we get to know the cast of characters of this like ultra wealthy folks that could afford to be there. And not only that, but some of the crew members, including the captain played by Woody Harrelson, <laughs> who we don't see for a long period of time because he's holed up in his room yeah. on a bender. Then there is a scene in this second act, which we will get to, I promise. But <laughs> it's when kind of uh, weather collides with uh, bad food or food that has gone bad for reasons that we may get into. But uh, there's a hilarious scene. And then not, only, not shortly after that, quickly, uh, a pir uh, pirates, you know, sea pirates, take board, take, a, take the ship, blow it up. And now third act, we've got a handful of characters on an island where the entire social sh social structure shifts based on skills and ability to obtain food, cook food, right. rather than the amount of money that you have. So it's a rumination, a, a exploration of class structure in a very specifically wealthy uh, setting. Um, that's maybe about all we need to say. Yeah, you've you've already taken it beyond plot summary. You're sure. you're, you're starting to do some of that uh, analysis for us here. Yeah. I mean, this is you're right. It is a film about class. It's putting a, a microscope on class in certain ways, and uh, and a lot of other things. It's um and it's doing it in a very brazen way. So I guess it makes sense to bring it, you know, there when yeah. when you're summarizing. Um, it, I mean. I think if this film gets any criticism from me, and it doesn't, but if it was going to, <laughs> I do like this film a lot. <laughs> but, but if I was going to criticize this film, thinking cynically, how would somebody come at this film? I would say, you would say it is too on the nose. It's too... It's an easy target. It, it, it is too obvious in what it is satirizing. It's not doing anything um, subtle enough to like get under the skin of somebody who's not already predisposed to that point of view. I could see people making those claims and that would be how I would kind of try to attack it. But I think that's really a sad uh, way of viewing this film because I think what it does, it does very well. Yeah, I saw two main attacks. One I'll hold off on, uh, but the other was 
kind of easy target. Mm -hmm. You know, it was... You know, it's, it's, but it's that's, easy to pile that's on the rich. only if you see it as a takedown of the rich, which mm. is certainly there. I'm not saying it isn't, but I don't think that's the only thing mm. that this film is doing. And and certainly when we talk about that opening section and then we talk about the final section, I think it's actually doing something a lot different with just human nature and talking about these things that compel people to do things and why they do them anyway. Well, let's talk about that opening section, that fight over the bill. I loved that scene i felt that it was uh, that the actors were so genuine that you know that you almost forget you're watching a movie yeah uh the bill comes then we learned that they might have had a conversation probably a flippant comment by her which is i'll pick it up tonight but she makes no when he when he paid for the last bill right yeah what we she makes no gesture for the bill she's on her phone and he's sitting there as someone might do in a situation like that where I don't even want to bring this up because it's going to be a bit embarrassing for me to bring up money or yeah. you said you'd pay and you're not paying. And I'm the gender roles here. The man pays for the bill. Sometimes, you know, it, it seems to have a historical, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, there it's a stereotype that men are the breadwinners that sure. are going to be paying for bills. And, yeah. and then a fight that escalates at the restaurant and then continues as they, you know, make their way back to a hotel or wherever they're staying. I felt that that was so genuine and I was locked in, not really even knowing that that's, I mean, the title card notwithstanding, that we're going on a real journey here. Yeah. And I think that entire scene is set up by what came before it, which was where we saw the sort of takedown or the satire of the fashion industry. Yeah. And, and kind of already setting up that, you know, uh, the female fashion industry is superior, you know, in terms of yeah. money generation. And, yeah. You know her star power versus kind of the opposite of pro sports. Yep. And uh, and then you know the, there was that scene where you know he goes to see her after his audition, which he doesn't get, right? Um, which was hilarious. Yeah. Um, but you know he is then asked to continually relocate his seat for important people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then forgotten about and kind of shoved to the back. And so then you cut to the restaurant. So he's already kind of stewing. Like, yeah, yeah, he's already... Well, it, whether he's stewing or not, he sees that he is on his way out of this mm. industry, right? He he has... It's it's one of those times where his shelf life is actually even a little more limited than a woman, which in a lot of entertainment industry is the opposite, right? That men tend mm -hmm. to have more longevity. They, right. they can still Never have leading... women are old. Right. George Clooney can have leading man roles well into his 60s. Mm -hmm. A female uh, is very unlikely to be getting those kind of leading roles past... 50 you know and if she makes it into her 40s that's kind of an achievement so you know it's interesting to see but in the fashion industry where it is all about youth for the most part they're looking for very young looking guys and women maybe can stay in slightly longer although she's probably not much longer. <laughs> you know she's still at the top of her game and the game is a bigger game when you're a female model versus a male model so you know it's it's such an interesting uh place to position them and it makes sense because her other career it isn't just being a model it's being an influencer and that's what gains her access gains them access to, to this the, luxury cruise right. this elite sort of uh, cruise line is that they're being talk used about it. to exactly they're being used to put out this lifestyle you know think about the fire festival and all the, the people they paid to make it seem like this exciting thing mm -hmm. well this is what this cruise line is doing we need younger rich cut we need rich <laughs> But young customers. A lot of that. Instagram husbanding going on. Yeah. On, as she's getting photos taken of her constantly by him 
handing the phone back so that she can make sure that check the check the lighting, took make sure the photos it's right, yeah. correctly. Have, have either of you watched or read any anatomies of the scene things on yeah. on that? Um, that's pretty much, if I'm not mistaken, taken from an incident that he had, uh, the director, and I'm not even going to attempt to say his name. Ruben. Ruben. Yeah, Ruben. Your first name basis. Yeah. Um, We've two of his films. Yeah, that Ruben uh, had when he first met his current wife in Cannes. Oh, Um, really? I don't think they met in Cannes. He took her to Cannes. Okay. Um, And much of the conversation, much of the dynamics, including the shoving of the money uh, when they were in the elevator, uh, comes directly from that dynamic. So, you know, it felt real because it was. (laughs) Yeah. He he knew how to capture that because he lived it. So I'm I'm captured by the film as we go into the second part, which is the yacht itself. Right. And we begin to understand the, the social dynamics and the politics of the crew versus the passengers where... A big pep talk is given. The passengers ask for something. The answer is yes. And that comes into play a little bit later when a shit salesman, self-proclaimed shit salesman, <laughs> played by, I want to say his name, Zlatko Burek, because I thought Dimitri... Who is great. I mean, was he, fantastic. He is really good. And I've seen him show up in a couple... He was in... Um, at least one of the pusher films that Nicholas uh, mm-hmm. Win- Winding uh, Refn did. Yeah. Uh, it, what a captivating presence he is on screen. Well, his, <laughs> his wife demands, uh, with a smile on her face, that the entire crew go for a swim. Because it's a gift to them. Right. I mean, this is... <laughs> you'll never get, you don't get to have the fun and luxury that we do, so I'd love to see everyone on board working here uh, swim in the ocean. Not at all thinking, well, who actually runs the ship while that's going right. on? With it? No, this is just... Put inserting this big inconvenience into the midst of their work day that then they're going to have to work harder to make up after the fact. Right, and the cook says, the chef says during that, the food's going to go bad if we do this. And it's made to be done because we do not say no to these ultra-wealthy customers. Mm -hmm. And it it was just meant to be obviously absurd. Um, you know, in her mind, it was like this egalitarian moment. Like uh, everybody on board is yeah. equal. Everybody should share in the right. fun. Get in uh, the yeah. get into the hot tub with me in your crew, crew outfit. outfit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not going to be a pleasant experience when you get out of the hot tub or in it. Right, right. Not to mention the fact that when you initially do try to not do it. I give you such a hard time and make it clear it's going to be. It's just, it's such a tense little moment there be, between them and lots of tense little moments. He, Ostlin, I'm going to try, <laughs> um, I think revels in these awkward moments. We could call it cringe moments or, you know, th- those moments of true discomfort where. It's just icky. It's not, you know, the conversation between Carl and Yaya, the conversation between the the uh, wealthy Russian uh, wife and the the um, you know the deck Crew worker, or whatever. It these are just so unsettling, and then it gets even worse once you get to the island and some of the conversations that people have to have there. Yeah. Before we get to the island, the Woody Harrelson finally comes out to go to the captain's dinner. Did you go? Did you go to the captain's dinner on the cruise? I did wanna? not. Yeah, uh, I remember the captain's. Yeah. Dinner. I, Is that, I, that's a I, thing on big cruises. Yes, yes. Okay. you get to meet the captain, who is mainly a figurehead. I think at this point in that industry, because clearly someone's still driving the boat. Have either of you watched the uh, Hugh Laurie series on HBO Max? I think it's. Uh, 
shoot no, it's, the, it, it's about a luxury cruise ship in space, space yeah. and he he's the captain okay and he's very much a figurehead yeah. he has no knowledge of actually running a ship he's just there to be handsome and say nice things yeah <laughs> be clever right yeah. well we knew that woody harrelson's character captain character was Having a fun. drunk yeah but we learned that he's also a marxist or at least believes himself <laughs> to be one yeah yeah um but that's the night that the ship goes through a um turbulent seas yes and that's the night where as people are feeling more and more seasick, more and more elaborate courses of food are continuing to be served. And I, help Well, me. and it starts with things that are like already like sure. gelatinous and wiggly. I mean, they come out with oysters right at the beginning, which are classic. Like if you're going to get people thinking about queasiness or whatever, show them a shaking oyster. That's going to do it. Right. You know, the, the gelée or whatever that, that they're serving there that's like this clear jello mm-hmm. essentially sitting on a plate that's just wobbling. Wobble, because wobble. The, the turbulence on the yeah, ship. Yeah. Oh my God. Is a 20 minute, I didn't time it, 25 minute yeah. scene of vomiting. And like like chain reaction vomit, yeah. where a lot of people are that way, where if you see or smell vomit, <laughs> it just makes you go. Right. Especially if you're also eating the bad food and you're also on a rocking ship. Right. It's, yeah. Explosive diarrhea. Um, I laughed. People so tumbling hard. downstairs. Well, I they, laughed so hard for 20 minutes. Yeah. I thought that this scene, which was so scatological and so base, was so well handled and this like great equalizer now because no matter how much money you got, you don't feel like a million bucks when you're in this condition. When it just goes on and on. And it does. It it does go on. And so I saw it on a Sunday morning and the, there were only two other people in the theater (laughs) and one of them was David (laughs) Uh, there with uh, one of his daughters. Yeah. So we were the only four. And uh, my wife is a sympathetic vomiter. Okay. And <laughs> this is the only thing. I shouldn't that, laugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, she wasn't a fan. So, but she, I was like, oh boy, this is not going to end well. Right. And she immediately turned her head like she would do, but she just kept looking and laughing and looking and laughing. And it had to be incredibly uncomfortable for her, but even she was laughing throughout just because of the absurdity. And it did go on for. Ever, yeah. Um, like I was like, just when you thought, like, all right, and the stakes kept getting higher. higher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the well, anyway. <laughs> go go see the film for that scene. A yeah, <laughs> how is that? Then the pirates come. Then the uh, well, I, oh, gosh, we, I don't want to breeze by the um, while this is going on. The Russian oligarch shit salesman is in uh, the captain's quarters with the captain, where they begin a very well, interesting. He, he, he first creates a panic on the boat by going on the loudspeaker and announcing the ship is going down, the ship is going down. When, yes, they're in rough waters, but the ship isn't going down. There's there's no actual danger from that, but he causes the panic and gets people fleeing out of their rooms and literally, like, bouncing off of stairs and walls and, you know, doing much more damage to mm-hmm. themselves than they would have had to. But then they get into this rumination of Marxism versus capitalism. Which is ironic because the capitalist in the situation is a Russian oligarch who would have, who is old enough, clearly in appearance, to have lived through the communism of, you know, Soviet Russia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I mean, they say, like, who would have thought, right? A, a, a Russian capitalist and an American communist here mm-hmm. on the, you know. Um, yeah. So that, that conversation 
keeping in mind that the Russian communist, that the American communist is the captain of a quarter of a billion dollar yacht. I mean, right. it's all. Oh yeah, but that's absurd. I mean, it's absurd, but that's a, that I'm sure is a reality in some cases. I'm sure there are people in these captains' positions who have these feelings, who mm. maybe just because you, you, you find because I have some of these feelings and I find ways to balance them and say, well, look, that's a system I'm in. Within that, I'm going to do what I can do to earn my money so that I can have my safety and security, and I'm going to try to help others on the way, but. I got to deal with the system that I'm dealt, right? I can, I'll change it from the inside. What, whatever you do to justify it. I mean, there's no hard... I mean, there are some, but very few of the hardcore communists I know actually live outside the system. It's just... It's almost impossible to do. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're right. So this is all playing out while visually we are seeing... As Joe has said, this whole social order upended. These people who were so clear and secure in their places in the hierarchy on the boat are totally scattered and, ha and have no, it's all about every person for themselves, what they can possibly do. We see the woman who earlier in the film commanded <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the deck worker, the, the, the female deck worker, that uh, sh she commanded her to enjoy the moment by mm -hmm. getting into the pool. We see her enjoying the moment by getting tossed around her in her lavatory and, yeah. you know, her undergarments swinging wildly and violently back and forth as the boat rocks and the what one would assume is like urine and vomit soaked floor yeah. that she's just as it's coming out both ends. That's right. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, we see people. Yeah. So you're seeing the whole social order upended. Like, you're seeing everybody who had this certain kind of superficial exterior, just all of that pulled away from them for the most part. And that continues with the survivors of the ship that end up on the island. About seven, eight people, you know, maybe, including including our Russian oligarch friend, the couple, the the fashion couple, mm -hmm. the head concierge from the ship, um, a couple other characters, but also the head kind of toilet cleaner is that what she's described as in the movie, uh, but one of the who does show up earlier. So I, I went I went and watched this a second time. Oh, did you? I was, you know, well, I saw it two weeks ago. I thought, okay, probably I need to see it again, have it a little fresher. And one of the things that I did pick up on the second viewing was that Abigail, the the uh, housemaid, the 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 toilet manager, I think right. is what the uh, the yeah. crew the head of crew wants to call her. Anyway. Um, she is the one who's knocking on Carl and Yaya's cabin door, asking them if she can come in to oh, do the right. housekeeping, and they shoo her away. That's yeah. like the first scene that we see on the boat. Right. She's there, but then we don't really see her at all throughout the rest of the voyage until we get on the island. Well, they're on this island. Yeah. And then Abigail, this uh, head toilet manager, they thank you, uh, drifts on in on a sealed lifeboat that has provisions in it, some water, some basic non-perishables yeah. and uh she goes out into the ocean and catches an octopus then she says someone make a fire no one knows how no one knows how to fish no one knows how to get food no one knows how to cook the food and um, when it comes time to distribute the cooked octopus she puts her flag in the sand and says yeah i'm gonna keep half of this and y'all can have the other half well why that's not fair because I cooked it, I cleaned it, and without me, you'd be starving. And now we have a Lord of the Flies situation on our hands where everything is upended. And she basically says, "Y'all, you all call me the captain. Yep. Call me call the me captain, captain now because I'm the captain now. And she sets the social structure up uh, for the rest of the film. Very quickly. 
very quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, which she kind of has to because really, I mean that that what one can talk about how this film kind of stretches belief in a certain in in a few ways. Th- that one being like you know ultimately again we're we're already kind of talking about the, the entire film. Spoilers flying everywhere. Um, you know, when they find out that they're on an inhabited island, an island that actually has a, re- a luxury resort on it, even, um, it it becomes hard retrospectively to think, how could they have been, they're, they're probably about a month, right? Because we see the, the maybe a little more, the, the Russian uh, capitalist has grown a significant oh. beard. It does get shaved off just toward, but he, he's grown a significant beard at one point. Um would indicate that maybe, yeah, like four to six weeks, something has passed. But would they have been that long? Having been on a bloat, on a bloat, on a boat (laughs) that was blown up, on a boat that was capsized by a pirate attack, wouldn't that be notable enough to be found? Anyway, I'm I'm just putting that out there. there. There's this thing about the time they spend on the island, but you're right, Anthony, she does have to very quickly, or she, not that she has to, but she does very quickly establish herself as the captain and then puts that pecking order in place including saying to the the male model right uh, yeah you come sleep with me now right yes so so carl becomes useful again <laughs> Car- carl carl gains um in the labor market of that island he's suddenly a valuable commodity and and this is where i really love the film because yeah, in in the beginning you know, obviously, one's looks are their currency, and uh, we Carl and yeah, yeah, yeah we sure. didn't even really go into sort of this idea that you know Carl was totally into Yaya, like that was he wanted that relationship. She saw it more for what it was, which was it benefited her as the mm-hmm. Instagram husband, right? And she, and she could see that her future probably wasn't with, with him. a man yep. like Carl. It was with somebody who, who was had rich. great wealth <laughs> who would want her as a trophy wife. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's established very early that relationships are transactional. Yeah. And fast forward to the end, you know, where he's, you know, has these... Well, he has that moment on the boat where he sort of discovers that he has power when he says something about the deckhand, the deckhand with the shirt off and smoking yeah. and gets him fired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but until the very end, and then he's like, "Oh, I'm a good-looking guy. I, that's a currency here." And then now I'm in a new transactional relationship, and okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it very clearly is making that connection for us because it set us up with that initial disagreement between Carl and Yaya and what they were doing. And it, and it really does. It gets you to think about what is worth what under what circumstances, right? I mean, yeah. it's all about context. For them in the world of fashion, she is the hotter commodity. She's the one who is going to be able to command more money, at least for some time. Um, he has a limited shelf life himself. He's reducing in value. His value to her is going to eventually expire, but for the time being, it's enough because they can have this sideline as influencers, and there could, you know, and that and that probably helps. Um, when that all gets upended, and there they are on the island, suddenly he becomes much more valuable. There is no great provider among the men, right? There, there, this turns into a total matriarchy. The men on the island are you know, quote unquote, fat and lazy yeah. at this point, either because they literally are or like Carl, they're just fat off of being cute for a living and that, you know, not being enough to give him life skills to, to deal yeah. with. They're useless. Yeah. I mean, they're useless. So, that, so it world. becomes the world as defined by Abigail where 
to who's the most attractive to her? Well, it, it's going to be Car- you know it's going to be Carl, and so he's suddenly going to be number two on the island, <laughs> and everybody else is going to kind of have to follow behind. Right. Um, it it is a shocking statement, right? Like, what's worth what? And Carl was the one in the beginning, if you remember, who was arguing with her about how there is this like you know he's going to prove to her he wants to bet her that there's true love, you know, essentially that you know there's something deeper than just the transactional thing that they're doing. And yet he's very ready (laughs) to discard it. What kind of statement is that on love? Mm -hmm. Love is all context dependent, isn't it? (laughs) Well, it's also like, while the yacht is real, there is no sense of reality when compared to the island where shit gets real. Yeah. Now it's survival. Right. There is no playtime. There is no luxury. I mean, they're playful. But... Who can cook? Who can get food? Value is substantial. Yeah. Value is sub- substantiated. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I I think for, for that alone, this film does some pretty amazing stuff. I think what it, what it does on the boat, I find just as captivating. I, I like seeing the excess of it all. I like mm-hmm. seeing how ridiculous it is. I love the performances that we're getting from these people and having these really characters. Good, the performances. Um, you know, it, it it's a film that looks good. It's fun to watch. It's these beautiful, you know, um, skies and you know, bl- blue water, and it's just lots of great eye candy there, and and attractive people in many cases, though not all. Um, and it, and so it's just an enjoyable film to watch on some levels, but then also a really disturbing and and kind of a upsetting one that's a combination i love <laughs> i love it when you can show me the beauty and the and the everything and then also the the sick underbelly and 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 what's going on and how these people are actually tied together and what it is that actually drives them in their relationships with one another as the film goes on i mean there are some genuine connections there i do think the um you know the russian capitalist and the captain actually do have this like authentic connection there for a sure. moment because yeah. they're very interested in each other and they know that they're kind of just playing with ideas and they're both hammered and the only two people on the boat not vomiting everywhere right the only ones who can really drink that much <laughs> <laughs> although his wife seems like she would just drink champagne all night <laughs> um, let me ask you guys a question because clearly i think we all agree that we enjoyed that scene tremendously uh-huh. um, the boat scene when i was trying to chew on this movie Interesting choice of work. Yeah, okay, maybe the wrong. But okay. Um, given that the fact that the boat doesn't capsize because of the storm, I mean, it is attacked by pirates and blown up. Mm-hmm. Technically, from a storytelling perspective, you could take that twenty minutes out, and the movie is exactly the same. Except you don't have that great equalizer scene, right? I mean, that doesn't. I, I think you need to see them get because. I mean, it's interesting because once you get to the island, even though, yes, then the social order has been sort of flipped, mm-hmm. you don't see the people. I don't I don't know. I think that seeing that sequence on the ship shows you a situation where pretty much everybody, although they don't. Well, no, that's not true. My, my rebuttal would be <laughs> I, that the crew is on the ship to do their best to tend to these passengers in extreme. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Circumstances. Distress. Yeah. On the sh- on the island, there's a f- it sinks even further to where you have that head concierge who attempts to do that with Abigail, and Abigail says, "No, nah, fuck it, 
the passengers are useless. The passengers are worthless, really, literally, to me. Yeah. Um, but I definitely see your point. Definitely see your point. Um, except that this, I mean, but it's, well, not, I think, it's not even a criticism. The film might be 10 to 15 minutes too long. Right. Might be. I don't, but I don't, I don't want to remove all. that scene. I, did, I, I love that scene. I didn't feel a drag at all. So, okay, I'm, I'm thinking this through. The, my <laughs> justification, look, I think, so what leads into it is the fact that these wealthy, entitled individuals want everything their way, including we're going to force you to be inconvenienced and blah, 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 blah. So, and also the fact that the captain pushed off his captain's dinner to that night. So he, like, in his sort of obnoxious leadership that has no connection to making things better for anybody other than himself, they've combined, like wealth, greed, power, have combined to create a situation that totally upends all of that and, and, and how it can function. And then that ultimately results, you think, okay, if the ship went over because of the storm, then it would be like, oh, that force played out. But here it's like even this, I think, more, um, it's a sharper punctuation put on it because what we have is the pirates show up using a grenade that's been created by the the old couple like that's one that we haven't really one of the little chestnuts here is that one of the couples on the, the ship, the sweetest couple is this you've ever met, right? It's Clementine a, and Winston, right? Clementine and Winston, who initially you meet and they just seem like this sweet little demure elderly couple. They're trying to interact with a, a disabled member mm-hmm. of the the cruise who. Actually, we haven't talked about either. She's kind of a recurring piece that kind of, how does society treat the the weakest? What, what do they do? Well, they forget about them when it's inconvenient. <laughs> but anyway, um, but you have this sweet little old couple who we come to find through pleasant little dinner conversation made their fortune off of hand grenades and landmines. And what a sad thing it was when they limited the use of landmines that in the world. T- that cut that 25% into the bottom line of the company. That was but a tough love time, got honey. them through yeah. it. <laughs> And, and they literally are the ones standing on the deck when the grenade drops. She picks it up and asks Winston what's going on. And, and Winston, what, is this oh, one that's of ours. ours. Yeah. Bang. <laughs> I mean, what a sweet, like, look, power, corruption, greed, all of it leading to its own undoing. And then once you get to the island, it's like, okay, all of that upset has settled. And it's like, now we're just dealing with a social order that has nothing to do with the capital that anyone had accrued before. It's all about ability. It's ca- I mean, the, the capital of knowledge and, and, and having skills, right? Well, but we haven't talked about the ending yet. And <laughs> no, which is... A- so, yeah, but it very, very quickly, you know, when um, Abigail and Yaya go on a hike, right? I don't remember who suggested to that. To see if there's something... something- it, 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 Yaya comes... To the the boat there and says, you know, I'm gonna. Can I use the oh, backpack? Yep. I want to go see if there's anything, something on the island. Right. And so they they make this hike, uh, and that's where they discover that the elevator mm-hmm. to the you know resort when right. they realize where they are. Um, and uh, at that moment, Yaya is like, oh, well, we're we're saved, or at least. You know, we're about, we, to, we're about to be right. She's just yeah, enjoying and, a moment on the beach yep. because because uh, Abigail has said I, I need to go relieve go myself yep. before we go up. Yeah, and so uh, you know she uh, makes a flippant kind of remark. Now that order has been restored, or at least will be shortly. You know, when we get back to real life, you know, real life, you can be my assistant. 
you know, and uh, and <laughs> right, I'll do something for you. I'll help you out. You could be my, my assistant. assistant. Yeah, and uh, and then Abigail is seen with a rock. She's about to bash, bash her, head. her head in, and then it cuts um, to Carl running through the yes jungle, and that's how the movie ends. That is how the movie ends. So yeah. when you, when you talk about you know the idea of power, yeah. Even in those situations, she didn't want to give up the power right. that she had power any, any more than well, anybody who was on the boat would want to give up their power. Oh, she becomes yeah. the ultimate capitalist yeah. once on the island. I mean, she is happy to keep all of that excess value for her. She is not going to give anybody else any more than she deems them worthy of based on what they can do for her. And she's been able to control the whole system. So how? why would she possibly want to give that up and go back to the... the cleaning toilets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, there, there's a bit... This is a bit absurd. This is a bit exaggerated. But nonetheless, it's understandable. I don't think that, you know, when she picks up that rock, I wasn't sitting there thinking like, well, why would she do that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, the writing's on the wall here. This her intention is moment to kill Yaya and go back to the other side of the island and say there's nothing over there. Presumably. Yeah. At the very least, she knows I can't continue this if Yaya, because Yaya knows. Yaya knows that there's this here and I can't have this. So I don't know. I mean, it, but is she thinking through the entire implications of it or is she just thinking I need to end this potential danger right now I'll deal with whatever after. I don't know if she had planned for anything like that. Well, well with the, you know, the, the Therese character, who was the one who had the stroke, who was yes. incapable of speech in, except in for their the... Woken. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, she has that interaction with a beach merchant. Um, yes. So when you were talking earlier about right, the time... Right, that's the first clue yeah, that, that, that... That there's something going on. Right. Uh, but you had said about the time, and yeah. that was the that was the one scene that was Wouldn't like... Wouldn't a beach merchant have come around there before but, then? Yeah. I mean, that is his route only comes around once every two months? I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know. You know, so then how do we explain that final scene with Carl? Like, does he then see the merchant? Does he discover that they are on an inhabited He seems aisle? to be running away from something, not to something. I will say that because okay. I was thinking about the second time. I was like, okay, I got to pay attention and see if there's any kind of hint here. And it did seem, I don't know if he exactly looks over his shoulder, but I get the fee, I got the definite sense that he was okay. running away from something rather than towards something. But beyond that, I don't mm. know. I do think it's left in this kind of open space. Like what would cause him to be running through the island if it was just... Well, then, I don't know. See, I, I think so, it was the donkey's mother. <laughs> well, the, oh, yeah. oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when it ended, I was like, oh, I have, I have a feeling I missed something. Yeah. And in that scene, like, I wasn't prepared for it to just end like that. Right. I, I wouldn't oh, have been, it didn't. Yeah. Wouldn't have been surprised if it faded to black with the rock. Like, that would have been, okay, That's that would be expected. But then we get this really brief scene yeah. of him j running through the jungle, and then it ends, and I'm like, I have a feeling I missed something. In thinking about it, I was like, did he have some contact with that beach merchant? Did he learn in Abigail and Yaya's absence that they were not alone? And then did he... Piece did he leap to thinking, oh my, oh my gosh, God. You know, Abigail might do something? Well, if if they find out, is Yaya in trouble? Is she right. unsafe? Um, you know, clearly I, identifying in a fist fight who would win. Yeah, <laughs> I took it as um, he just realized that them being alone together was going to blow something for him. That's what I. That's how I took it. Immediately. Oh, you think he was going there out of self-preservation just to keep right? It. Like if those two, because uh, he and Yai, this is coming off of him and Abigail just having had a pretty 
clear discussion about how they're going to move to this stage where they're going to be out publicly in some form, whether or not that is like their boyfriend, girlfriend, or that they're just going to be upfront about the fact that, well, he gives me sex and I give him food. Like, I give so him you pretzels. Get yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I, I, was, <laughs> I, I left the theater and for a long period of time, days, was thinking about this movie. I yeah. was really looking forward to discussing it here tonight yeah, David and I had an encounter where it was like both of us <laughs> yeah like, oh god <laughs> been there yeah so I, I mean top to bottom I, I really enjoyed this film I think it was put together outstandingly well I, I do think yes it is two and a half hours but I was there for the whole thing and I saw it a second time and I didn't feel like it dragged at all I felt like everything was moving the way it should I think there was some great music selected for the film we didn't really um you know, uh, focus on that too much when we were discussing for, for good reason. There's lots of other things to talk about, but um, but I did like that, especially the the refuse that showed up there during the the 20 minute uh, to, you know, it, which helped ratchet it up. It was a really well choreographed and edited scene. Um, for, for whatever you may say about its content, I think it's just it's it's really doing something pretty special. I, you know, th- this this is a great filmmaker, R- Ruben Oslan. He he knows how to dig into these kind of uncomfortable tensions that we have with downhill it was a little bit more about marriage and the family here it's much more about class and uh you know i think to a certain extent power gender for sure um but, but whatever he takes on and i gotta go back and see the square i don't know why i have yeah it. i don't know I, why i have yeah, it either it's, it's silly and we could have paired this with that but we're, we're we paired it with something else but i i think for good reason so We'll get there. Are there any final thoughts on on this, guys? I, I agree. I thought it was a tremendous movie. I, even you know, my question to you guys about the necessity of that scene. At the end of the day, I asked myself, would I want him to take right. that scene out? And right. the answer is no. Well, it's such a it's a centerpiece in the film, and like I say, it just puts on display. Oh. To me, it's it it really is the you know the the. The term in, in literary studies, like the carnivalesque, like the upending of society, the showing, like just that we're all on some level these bags of shit and piss and blood that like leak. And, you know, <laughs> it's just like it's grotesque. It's, but it shows you how, yes, we're all equal, <laughs> especially in a situation where you can't find your footing and you're vomiting constantly and I'm shooting. Gl- I'm glad yeah. we choose the same chairs every week. <laughs> Over there leaking. You're, you, come on, you're trying to tell me you're not. This uh, is our eighth trip to Blanco, Texas, and Real Ale Brewing, and it won't be our last. It won't be our last. I've discussed on After Hours Patreon.com/slash/BeerInAMoviePodcast uh, bonus episode every week. Get in there. Uh, my how important Real Ale was on the beginning of my craft journey. My fiance and I fell in love on craft beer, and our first beer trip was to. Blanco and Wimberley to to see Real Ale and other breweries around. So, you know, I always approach Real Ale with a they can do no wrong kind of thing. This is so solid. This To me, this is a very solid beer. It's not exceptional. It's not bad by any stretch of the magic. It's very solid, hazy with a nice, a lot of flavor. And as my first uh, beer of the evening, I'm definitely feeling that 7.3. Wow. Well, this is a beer even I could enjoy. Nice, so, nice. That, remind is, us, you're not a beer guy. I am not a craft well, beer. Okay, um, yeah. You I have, have your very, favorites. Yeah, um, I did go on the um, 
Lots of fruit. sour, uh, smoothie sour voyage you with you, you guys. Did, yeah. um, those I enjoyed. Lots of truly, lots of white claw in your fridge. I get it. No, no. Lots of uh, yingling. Okay. Uh, mostly. Um, Long shiner. Lager. Um, All right. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty basic when it comes to that. I firmly admit it. I do, you know, step out here and there. Um, and it's going to be something on the lighter side and a hazy IPA. Usually I would drink and I actually enjoyed that. So. Nice. Nice. I think this is a really, I mean, I I hear what you're saying, Joe, and, and I'm glad you enjoyed it, Anthony. I actually think I, I'm going to, I, I want to be a little higher on this because I think whenever a brewery like Real Ale, and you know the price point on this is really. Always affordable. Nice. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about like a 9 to $10 sure. six pack, which in the craft scene nice. is a yeah. pretty good deal. Yeah. This to me is a solid hazy IPA. I have no reservations about saying like I would pick this up and have this I'll as pick just this my go-to hazy yeah. IPA. There's a few others that come into our market. I've mentioned, I don't know if we've done it on the program, but Houston Haze that comes out of uh, Spindle Tap, which is a little higher in price, I think has maybe a little better f- flavor and body, but not by much. And And this is really pretty awesome that i could get this in the can i the, the weird thing though is i know somebody gave i, I think it was daniel like carlos didn't mark these cans but i, I think this was a, a a listener of the show that that had given these to carlos i think it was daniel and in doing so thank you but then on top of that i don't know that i've seen these on the shelves that much so i don't know if this was like a small run that they did or if this is a beer that's in their regular rotation now, i gotta hope it's in the regular rotation we've done three from spindle tap but houston hayes is not one okay of them. Well, um they do a four pack i'm sorry a 12 pack uh of three each of four different is IPAs. This? i don't know i haven't bought that in quite a while but oh, okay. the fourth the fourth is always a rotation. a rotation. Okay, so that might be the... Some of their more flagship beers yeah. are in the other three spots, but uh, I would be curious to go back and see if this has made it into the rotation. Because sometimes that fourth one is great. Sometimes it's not so great. In fact, the milkshake IPA they put in there is probably the least favorite real ale I've ever had. Yeah. But that's not in there any longer. So maybe no, they've I made did, it for I, Actually, that, that one didn't hit it for me either, but that was... Well, we'll... Great stuff, guys. I mean, come on. We we just talked about a big film. This is you know like big ideas, big whatever. You know, hey, if you think it's too on the nose, go 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 make your own film and and show me how subtle (laughs) you can be. Otherwise, go see this film. Drink this beer if you're inclined to want a hazy IPA. I think you'll be very pleased. And stick around because I think if you like incisive film commentary, you're going to be really excited about our second half when we come back from the break. And let's not even let's not dick around here, David. I want to get some more juice in the glass. And by juice, I <laughs> let's mean let's not dick around. I want to doctor get some more juice. juice. Save that for next week. You're gonna do all the dick jokes next week. I oh, bet. wonderful! Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get to work in the meantime. <laughs> this is a juicy IPA. They call it. This is from Parish Brewing. Our fourth trip to Louisiana uh, it, with Parish Brewing. Yes. The doctor is in, they say. Introducing your new go-to IPA. Dr. Juice is a highly crushable juice bomb. It's at 6%. It's got 
Azica, Cascade, Citra, and Simcoe hops. It's available year-round from their brewery. Here's the uh, flavor profile that they put on their website, David. Hazy, hoppy, juicy, tropical. You said that a hazy IPA, Anthony, might, uh, you know, you could you could extend yourself that far. How do you feel about a juicy IPA? Uh, okay. I'm, I'm game. <laughs> He's still with us. He's I do. still with us. I do like juice. Nice. Okay. Well, <laughs> hey. Sometimes that's what you need, and and I think uh, with, with the doctor prescribing it to us, I guess right. This is doctor juice. Yeah, yeah. So very nice. So we, we're getting something in our glasses. We're getting ourselves ready because we're going to talk about a, another heady film of sorts, right? Or a film at least that's taken on some big ideas through satire. Mm-hmm. Um, I think grown in esteem over time as well. It's definitely become a little... I mean, it did all right in its initial run, but I think, yes, over time, it's built sort of a cult, and it's also become very memeable. It's, it's something that, that we see a lot of images definitely. from online. Well, don't leave us in suspense. Well, Anthony's going to fill us in. Oh, okay. Doctor? Well, uh, the film we're talking about is American Psycho uh, from 2000, directed by Mary Harron, um, and I have been chosen to synopsize, so guys... Just if I'm going off the rails, let me buckle know. in. Yeah, we're, buckle we're, in. Yeah. Um, so, American Psycho, if you haven't seen it, is the story of Patrick Bateman, who is a 27 year old uh, yuppie type in mid to late 80s New York City, Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a vice president of a company that we learn his dad may or may not have a high role in, although we yeah. don't see him. Um, he's friends with a bunch of vice president bros uh seems like everybody in the company is a vice president right. and uh we uh we learn about uh patrick bateman um in terms of who his relationships are uh his uh aspirations as well as his darker side which uh involves murder um and uh and so we follow his exploits uh yeah. throughout the film um and uh, there's a lot to pick over in, in this. <laughs> but that's uh, a basic setup. Yeah, that is you, a pretty gotta, basic yeah. basic setup. Uh, Young, wealthy, yuppie, um, clearly in entitled. that upper tier, yeah. right? Again, we're, we're right on the surface here, folks. We're, we're thinking about class, right? We're thinking about what is this person's. And he talks about it, right? We get a lot of voiceover here. Um, th- this is an adaptation of a novel, right? Yep, Brett, Brett Easton Ellis yeah. um, from, I don't know the year of that, but... Uh, you know, that he, novel like exploded on the scene. Yeah. Yep. And of course, when a novel is as controversial as that, the film rights begin to be talked about. And then Brett Easton Ellis himself said, I don't think this thing is filmable. Mm-hmm. It went through several directors, several stars were attached to it, including Leonardo DiCaprio for yeah. a bit with Oliver Stone directing. Yeah. Then when they both jumped off, it went to this director who had had some success in um, I shot with I shot Andy Warhol, some kind of critical, you know, critical yeah. art house success with that. And um, I gotta say, casting Christian Bale was a stroke of genius because he his performance in this movie is incredible. It's iconic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it's hard to imagine, like when you hear, and I've heard that you know, for many years that DiCaprio was that close mm-hmm. to, to making the film. It's so hard for me to imagine anybody but Christian Bale in that role. Um, it, and, and certainly Leonardo DiCaprio, it just doesn't. But I'm, I mean, I'm sure yeah. he would have taken it in a direction. It might have been interesting to see. But Bale really dials in this character in this way that has this seething intensity 
to almost every moment of it, but also the kind of placid surface mm-hmm. to so much of it. It's really this amazing, you know, kind of performance he turns in here. What had he done prior to this? Because uh, this is when he came I on mean, my he was radar. A child actor. Empire of the Sun right. is a Spielberg film, kind of a lesser Spielberg film, lesser known, certainly. <laughs> Don't tell Bale that. I fucking love that movie. <laughs> you I, were in lesser Spielberg. I will watch. No, but you understand what I mean. The I do, I do. Car- uh, directors have tears of you know, what their best stuff is. Uh, Empire of the Sun gets forgotten, but that's where I had known him from. And I think a lot of people that, that were fans of that film were just kind of Spielberg at that moment. You, go, you went to go see everything Spielberg. Right. The Fableman's coming soon. Yeah. And um, he, I mean, he had been in Newsies. Newsies. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Swing Kids. He was in like some musicals as a young man. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in the 94 version of Little Women. He, you know, he had done like young male roles. Now, Velvet Goldmine yeah. was a film that came just before this that I think hinted at some of the darker stuff that he would maybe get into later. Um, but that wasn't a huge hit by any stretch. No. That was that was a fairly underground, in fact, one that we should maybe do on the podcast. I wouldn't at some mind point. that. Um, but, but I think to a wider audience, this is the film that he kind of became known Broke for. Out with, yeah. Other than being kind of just another young, fresh face kind of yeah. young boy actor. Yeah, he plays this character who... He and all of his bros, good, good, good way to put this like cast of his uh, contemporaries at work that don't have a lot of. It never shows them working. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, in fact, it shows. I mean, we see Bateman in his office putting Jeopardy on. Right. We see Bateman in his office listening to his headphones, listening to music mm-hmm. during the day. Crossword puzzles. Crossword puzzles. Nothing even hinting at but any sort of work. But they're very yeah. wealthy. And that they have status, like, um, tiers of status among the group is very important because... Can I get a reservation at that restaurant? That that <laughs> Dorsey, yeah. that that, abscri- that ascribes value to me. Who's got the better business card in one of the best movie scenes, maybe ever? The business card comparison scene. Who <laughs> has that? They all have the same suits. They all go to the same barber. They're very locked in a group think of not group think, but rather like collective identity that. We're still, we're all having sex with the same people. We're all having affairs with the same partners. So much of the film is about the interchangeability of these people, right? I mean, Bateman is constantly being misrecognized. Oh, everybody is, though. I mean, like, it happens. Sure, yeah, no, it, it does, absolutely. But that's, again, the kind of replaceability or just this kind of, here's this shell that you're going to inhabit. You know, like, here's this thing, this there's so much about masks. I mean, from the very beginning of the film, right? We see him doing his uh, skincare routine and it kind of culminates with him peeling a facial mask off of his face in this way as he's talking about inhabiting a mask. It's, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's right again on the surface. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you're going to have a critique of this film, it's going to be, it's not hiding its commentary. Mm -hmm. It's about, this is a society or this is a social class. This is a group of people that care much more about service than they do anything else. And as long as you can achieve that facade, as long as you can sort of maintain that style of living, I guess, through your salary, through being connected in these wealthy companies, then you're going to live you the value. same cookie cutter existence that everybody else does. Yeah, I think the the interchangeability is one of the keys to sort of reading this movie, um, among a few other things. Um, and I think that this is a movie that ages well, um, very much. And 
really gives you a lot of layers. And, you know, I kind of chose for this viewing to look at it in a particular context. And it was, you know, seeing things that you'd never seen before. And I've probably seen this, you know, eight, ten times, you know, since yeah. 2000. Actually, David, you and I taught this film together it's true. Uh, a few years ago. So... And we got a chance to see it on the big screen. We did, um, which was again without me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which was which was pretty incredible. But I, I, you know, the the fact that everybody is confused for everybody else, and and you know, even from the opening scene when they're sitting there in the um, in the restaurant, and you know, oh Paul Allen, Paul Allen, Paul Allen. The, so yeah. this this mythical creature of Paul Allen, who everybody tries to live up to that standard, nobody even really sort of could recognize because it's interchangeable with right. everybody else. Yes. And um, when you meet him, he's got the best business card. <laughs> he, well, he does. Well, although Lewis is later on might be. Yeah. Lewis, Lewis maybe outdoes him after. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, we could talk about that, but how about, this is a complete aside, but I was racking my head with Lewis. That's a, um, Gavin Belson yeah. from Sing Silicon Valley. Oh yeah, Valley. yeah, yeah. I did the same I thing. I was dying. I, I looked I'm it like, up. Who is that? It's Gavin. Yeah, Matt Ross, I think yep, is his Matt name. Ross. Um, he also had a pretty prominent role on the series Big Love on HBO, and he's shown up at a few. I mean, he's he's had some decent no. little roles over the years, but I know what you mean. No, like he's, he's Gavin Belson. That's. <laughs> Whatever else he's done. Well, he's, it, you know, you also have Justin Theroux yep. as part of that crew um, there. Um, Josh. Josh Lucas. Lucas. And um, is it is it Bill Sage? William Sage? Yeah, I don't Who's, it, it, I mean, and all Jared of these. Jared Leto, of course. And Jer- well, he's Paul Allen. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's he's not part of the bro crew. He's, he's not. He's above. The, I mean, he is, but he's a little above them yeah. somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it Yeah. It was, a, it was an interesting, you know, grouping of young talent in that moment, um, you know, some who went on to, to do great things. Reese Witherspoon, obviously, yep. being in there um, as Evelyn. Evelyn. Right? Yeah. Um, it, which she doesn't get a whole lot of screen time, but she's great and kind of delivers the, the performance you need for that character. So once Paul pulls out the trump card, business card, that sets Patrick on the course to kill him. Now, are we to believe it? I was curious. That's his first murder? Well, I mean, before that, you've had the scene at the dry cleaner where he is arguing with them to get the stain out of that sheet. And, you know, we see the sheet and it looks like it's got blood stains on it. Uh-huh. Um, You're right. And that was following that scene where he's walking kind of next to this woman. It, you know, this is like after a dinner or whatever. And he's walking out on the street and kind of looks over. Yeah. She, they make eye contact. They have a little exchange and they just kind of walk. But then we cut to the next morning, we would presume, him trying to get these bloody the, sheets. This clean. is the iconic meme scene. This is when he kills Paul Allen, uh, Jared Leto. Leto? 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 Leto. Say what you want. Leto? Yeah. I think. All right. Yeah. Good. Ulstrom. So he, uh, <laughs> so he's got the slicker on. He's he's going into a long is diatribe a about uh, uh, Huey Lewis in the news. Uh, and then eventually, of course, kills Jared Leto, who's so drunk that uh, he doesn't even realize the newspaper that's underneath the chair or the seat. <laughs> Do you have a little chow? chow. <laughs> you got a little dog. <laughs> chow. Um, that's the, fir- the first murder and the first time that he murders alongside these commentaries about 80s pop music. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, my favorite uh, quote uh, in that scene is, uh, try getting a reservation at Dorsey and now you fucking stupid bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh. That that to me is got a hysterical. reservation of Dorsey on a Friday night. How do you do that? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, the first well the first murder is that Al. we definitely see is out. Right, you're right. We 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 do see him stab out the homeless man. Yes, and yes, that, yes, 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 yes. Um, and that after he had given a soliloquy about how we need to be helping the homeless. Well, or how we all need to help ourselves. Yes. We, yeah. I mean, he starts out sounding like he's yeah. going to be kind of a benevolent, but then he quickly yeah. turns it into, why are you such a failure? Can you not live by, you know. Get a job. Yes. That that scene is directly after the um, the business card scene. Right. Um, right. So it is reasonable to make the connection that that stirred up, obviously, feelings right. that would have of inadequacy led. that you know like he, he's so he's going to lash out at somebody beneath him right. on the social ladder right. definitively beneath like at the very lowest rung yes. of, of it you know yeah I, so i mean i don't know if it's possible to talk about this film without talking uh, at least putting out on the table being able to distinguish what actually is a murder versus what is in his head yeah uh, well and this gets to i think you know part of the reason why I was excited when we started talking about, okay, what other satire, dark satire about class and society could we take on? And American Psycho came up. You know, you are our resident psychology expert. And, we, you know, we've talked character psyche before. And this is a film that puts that right in its title, this idea of psycho, psychosis, which is a flawed concept to begin with, I, I know. But... I mean, and and then when you bring in this, how much of this is subjective? How much of this are we seeing through Bateman's eyes? How much of it is actually happening in the real world outside of his head? I don't know. What, lay, lay down some thoughts here. So that's why we pay you. Yeah, this, this is why I get the big bucks, right? Okay, so, you know, one of the things I talk about in my class and it is why this title is misleading slash offensive. Yeah. Um, you know, the the idea that using these pejorative terms to describe individuals, whether it be crazy or lunatic or psycho, um, conjure up particular images and adds to the stigma of mental illness. That being said, I, I, I think that there is a, there's a line in this movie. That, and, and the line is the ATM. Uh, yeah. So... Everything that happens up to that point, we can we can talk about. We can talk about was this real? Yeah. Uh, was this completely in his head? Was what we saw a? It's open to interpretation. Yeah. Um, yeah. W- did he actually kill this person? But perhaps not in the fashion in which he's telling us, because he certainly is an unreliable narrator. So yeah, there, there's certainly that. But but there is this line. Um, I forget what precedes it, but. Everybody, you know, if you've seen the movie, he's at an ATM, he's taking out cash and says, feed me a stray cat. Um, <laughs> on, the, on the little on the, ATM on the, screen. Yeah. Um, and then he shoots a woman who sees him. Sees do, him about to shoot she, the cat. Well, yeah. So, yeah. And then, then he's running and he's being chased by a cop or cops. Uh, he, and he has a shootout, shootout with the and he blows the police car. With a pistol. With he, a pistol, yeah. which he clearly, you know, then stares at like. <laughs> Did this happen? Did this happen? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then culminating in his helicopters his, going to his office, office yeah. and him making a frantic phone call to what we are to believe is his lawyer mm-hmm. confessing to 20, maybe 40 murders. <laughs> yes. So prior to that, we are led to believe that Patrick has psychopathic tendencies, mm-hmm. which would, def- which would, the, the title would make sense. 
That's shorthand for psychopathic. It, yes, it is in the way that it's generally used. Mm-hmm. Like you don't normally find people will call somebody a psycho and mean sort of the other connotation, like psychotic, mm-hmm. like that. That's usually what it is. And so this is a person who's operating without morals, you know, uh, violence for violence. Sake. There's a number of different things. I didn't come with my diagnostic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's the line where what we are then seeing seems to be a psychotic break. Yeah. So psycho sort of serves two purposes here. Yeah. And that is a break from reality. Um, so disorders such as schizophrenia. And we talked, I think, about this uh, with Joker. Yeah. The one you weren't here for. Um, you know um you know that disconnect from reality inability to tell reality from fantasy and and clearly that scene is is that line yeah um because that did not happen the atm did not say that no no uh, yeah he the the cop car he definitely did not shoot several cops and cop cars blowing with no consequences exactly um I forgot the question. Yeah. Well, uh, oh, well, but like this the, character psyche, what, what are we learning about this character? Does that well, even the, matter? The Is audience it, believes that they're seeing something that didn't happen, not only with the, the obvious, uh-huh. like, like you say, the ATM's talking to him, but the next day he does meet the lawyer that he'd made the phone call to. The lawyer misidentifies him at the beginning mm-hmm. and then says, you couldn't have killed Paul Allen because I had lunch with him twice in London, you know, after you say he was dead and that's when the audience says well wait a second now none of this may have occurred right which which i think is a fun part of the movie well i do too and one of the things that i said on that joker episode was i think that the movie trope of it was all in his head is one of the cheapest forms of screenwriting and Mm -hmm. it's probably my biggest complaint with the joker as a film yeah um is the way that it ended um and so I've never chosen to believe that because I love this film. It, yeah. is, it is, you know, up there. You never chose to believe that it was all in his head. Never, no. Okay, because so what's happening at the ATM? The, now, the, so I, I, I never chose to believe that everything was in his head. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly, you know, the, 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 that scene from the ATM to the confession is absurd, right? right. It, it is, nobody is meant to, even as you are watching it, believe that this is happening and i think you know as the story goes i think that's the scene that makes you start to question like what has happened before if, if you didn't already know what or didn't already ask yourself what was going on as he chases you know one of the hookers you know out of the apartment <laughs> naked with a chainsaw with a chainsaw um, through an it, apartment building as she's pounding on doors and screaming and nobody comes out at all at yeah. all yeah and uh, paul so, allen's apartment so yeah do you believe that he dropped the chainsaw correctly onto her to kill her no and, and, <laughs> and i think that there are two um God, I don't even know if you... I think there's two two keys to reading this movie. One at the beginning, one at the end. Um, and his journal at the end, I think, is a cipher for this Wh- film. Which we see Gene, his assistant, yep. uh, it, seven, yeah. leafing through, uh, you know, and, and discovering... Sketches. Sketches. Yeah. Right, right. yeah, and it's, it's like his planner with, like, sketches, yeah. you know. And if you go through that, you see some of the more unbelievable elements. Right. Uh, are 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 uh, are drawn there. So the yeah. the chainsaw and the exact scene with the body laying yeah. there is there. There's an axe, you know, yeah. uh, um, you know that you know if you read it in that way, that's sort of the Paul Allen. Um, 
you know, he clearly in that same scene with the with the hooker that he eventually kills with the uh, with the chainsaw when he murders his friend, he clearly is stabbing her like below, you know, in the vagina, yeah. like or at least in that area, and that yeah. is a big thing in that. Um, the, 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 the notebook, yeah, yeah. The, the planner, yeah. So I, I think that is your key at the end of maybe telling you what didn't really happen or mm. maybe what happened. But I don't think it necessarily is that he didn't necessarily kill that one hooker. Yeah. It's just not in that fashion. Um, yeah. And I think the other key to this is mirrors. And I don't know if you've ever watched it looking at mirrors. Well, I, did, I did not focus on mirrors. So no, I, I noticed that there's him looking in the mirror is clearly a motif throughout the film. Him looking in into glass that is reflective that aren't yeah. exactly mirrors. The first one I think is a Les Misérables poster. Well, the oh well, the first one is the very very first scene when he's at the bar. Yeah. Um, and I forget. I, oh, I, when he's get, going to get the drink. Drink. Yeah. 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 Um, you know when he gives him the drink t- gives her the drink tickets and then it says it's cash and he orders the drink and then she turns around and then you, it quickly goes to his face in the mirror yeah as he says you fucking ugly bitch i'm going to stab you right which uh the lovely lovely juxtaposition new orders true faith is playing yeah. and at <laughs> yeah. that very moment the uh the lyric they're afraid of what they see is playing so yeah. it's like oh my god it's orchestral and how yeah it, but that was yeah music is a big deal in this film yeah, for sure and it certainly fits the time like yeah. that is what you would hear in a club in that right, period of time right. but i think that that starts a way to watch this film because mirrors play a big role in almost all of the unbelievable aspects right um and then you know like al, al the, there's no yeah right so who did he kill right and if this is a meditation on wealth and power yeah right probably you know people like Al because he talks about you know in his confession talks about killing other homeless people other prostitutes right the people who are anonymous in our society who nobody would care if yeah. they went missing or even know if they went missing yeah um, and that makes for an interesting interpretation of yeah. this of this film because it fits sort of the power dynamic it fits the narcissism yeah um, you know, especially that Al scene, right? It is coming from a period of feeling inferior mm-hmm. and he's going to take it out on the first person that he sees. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because here's how I came into it. I, I'm appreciating everything that you're saying. Without a um, psychologic education, I looked at it like the miss... They are so you. They are so like one another, and work so hard to be just like one another. That that's where the misinterpretation of who 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 is who comes from. Like in other words, this is such a. Yes, they're wealthy, but it's such a vapid sub niche of society that you, they're they're you mistake them for one another. Mm-hmm. That. That yes, there was a break with reality exactly at the point that you're talking about. We didn't even mention that after the ATM and after blowing up the car, he goes and he shoots the guard and he shoots the janitor and he's just like he's shooting everybody. With no, since there were no um, consequences the next day, to me it was that he'd gotten away with everything because he is powerful in society ultimately because of the wealth. And that the lawyer genuinely mistook him for some another client because the lawyer himself is 
one of the bros, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, and that Paul Allen was killed. The real estate agent did clean up the apartment so that she could not, you know, have a problem with a potential listing. And so that that's where I've always yeah. been with the movie. See, where, where I think I am with, with this film is that I like that it's ambiguous. Is like I like that it leaves it open there where clearly some things have happened that didn't happen in the real world. Anthony's pointed out some of the, the clearest where we kind of know, no, that, that ATMs don't really tell you to feed, feed them stray cats. Um, cop cars don't explode when a single pistol bullet, you know, hit, hits them. But... That said, there are plenty of things that likely did happen, right? And I mean, and, there, and there's lots of transgressions that, I mean, he probably did at the very least say to that bartender under his breath that he w wants to kill that stupid bitch or mm -hmm. what, you know, whatever it is. Um, it, and he probably did, uh, you know, uh, at least have a confrontation with Al in the, in the alley, whether or not it culminated him stabbing. And, and the, where it leaves me is, okay, so what does it matter if, he really did it or not. I mean, what we're seeing is sort of this externalization of this stuff that's already under the surface with this character, no matter how you slice it. Whether he killed the people or not, his disregard for their, their existence or the interchangeability of their existence um, when it comes to his bros, you know what I mean? Like Paul Allen can substitute for, you know, whomever else is, you know, out there, Lewis or whomever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, you know, it it's just a commentary on the view of the world that these people have when greed, power, money has become the absolute, you know, biggest thing in their lives. That's that's what these people focus on is how they're going to be able to display their status to one another. And if they don't have that, then nothing else is worth anything, and including human life. Human life is worth nothing in in, in this equation. Yeah, uh, the whoever adapted the book and Mary Heron have both come up on, on record as saying that this is not all in Patrick. Bain's right, Her head. Heron says even that that she's disappointed Point. that she left it as ambiguous, yeah. or or left people feeling that they could con concretely walk mm -hmm. away feeling she likes ambiguity, but she didn't like that anybody could walk away thinking that oh, it was all a dream and none of these murders happened. Yeah. And I agree with that. I think that you know that it lends itself to that <clears throat> excuse me that lazy thought that none of this happened and it was just that standard movie trope. But I think, you know, as you were saying, you know, that idea, it's just on the border of plausible. Like, you know, if you were a building owner and you had this valuable apartment and just yeah, happened right. to have would, some dead bodies. Would you not cover it up? Cover, or, yeah. cover up for the purpose of... I don't know how you cover up uh, all those bodies. Well, <laughs> they, they, they were everywhere. I, I, I hear there's a lot in the Hudson River. River. Sure. <laughs> I, I don't either, but it's it's just at the end of... You know, just at that end of... Right. You know, there's... It's just believable enough that the uh, the lawyer did know who he was, but was purposely doing what he was doing to for the benefit of his client. Right. You know, so they're just on the outside of believable. And I do think that the common... Oh, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, the, so the common interpretation the is that, you know, he mistook him, you know, Bateman is whoever, and nope, this is, you're just, this is crazy talk, you're you're a lunatic, mm -hmm. and moving on. And I, I think maybe she made it a little too easy to believe that. Yeah. Um, but again, I think that they are on the fringes of believability. You know, a really, I think a really good scene that kind of shows 
you know, what happened is is the scene where he picks up the hooker the the first time and then calls the escort. Um, that wasn't the uh, the Genesis. The, I, I just called the studio. Yeah, yeah, Phil Collins, right? Yeah. So there's a there's a couple of things going on. So yes, probably did pick up you know, the hooker off the street probably did call for an escort. Again, sort of the status, the privilege. Yeah, yeah as, uh, as we do. Um, but then as you start watching that scene, you know, again, if you look at through, through the lens of the mirrors, like it's, so it's not even just this violent prowess, it's this sexual prowess yeah. as well. Yeah. That's kind of being viewed through through mirrors. And, and then there's this, what I thought to be, for me anyway, was was the most interesting scene during this viewing so after they're asleep, he gets up and he goes into a drawer where there's like these torture objects. Yeah. And he's looking in a mirror and then it cuts to them leaving and they're bloodied and bruised. So yeah. that that's where I started to think he probably didn't torture them, but he rough, rough, he roughed them up. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, she in, comes back the in one, a less masochistic yeah, way. The one sex worker comes back and says, I might need surgery. He writes her a check. Yeah. Do you, why didn't, why did he spare his assistant? I've I've asked that question every time I've watched this movie. Right. Well, I mean, he he gets interrupted there, right? So that so that sequence is where no, you he's know, got the gun, the the nail gun the to the back of her head. Very large nail gun. Right. No, but it's she by her asking him about. Well, no, I'm oh, sorry. The, the phone. The phone, the phone. The phone. Sorry. Rings, yeah. The phone rings. Gets interrupted by Evelyn calling and leaving a message, and then it turns into a discussion about you know, oh, does Evelyn know? Like. It, 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 yeah. it becomes I think clear. You should leave. I might hurt you. Hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. And and yes, he does seem to ultimately have. And she's the one female character in the film that he's shown any kind of regard for, even though it's a terrible regard. Yeah. I mean, like he's telling her that she shouldn't dress the way Wear she does. Wear better clothes. He's, yeah. I mean, but he does seem to have some kind of genuine interest in her as a person that goes beyond almost anybody else in the film. And I don't know how to describe that. I don't know how to explain that. I don't know why that makes sense, except that maybe she's the one sort of grounded person in the film. Like all these other people are so obsessed with superficial, superficial looks and whatever, or so low in class in society, right? Sex workers, uh, homeless people that they have no status for him. But here's this person who's in this kind of middle class position who maybe shows him enough regard and whatnot that like she's viable as a human being to him. I don't know. She's the only one who treats him like an individual in the film. Um, even That's true. even his fiance, you know, you could you could evaluate Evelyn and, and Patrick's relationship as well. Why does similarly... she want to be with him? Not because she loves him, no. because they have all the same friends, right? No, <laughs> because... and and there's you know definitely you know if we if we wanted to talk about you know what. Um, Triangle Sadness was saying about transactional relationships. We could we could easily talk about that relationship being transactional as well. Yeah. She was she was obviously wealthy and beautiful, um, and they had all the same friends. And he was the type of person she should marry. Yeah, um, you never really got any sort of sense that there was any bond between them. The first time you meet them, they're sitting in a limo and she's talking about wedding planning and he's listening to the new Robert Palmer tape. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, and, and she's just bothering him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so she, uh, uh, um, the, what's her name? This, uh, um, Chloe Sevigny? Jean. Uh, Jean. Yeah. Um, she's really the only one who treats him like an individual, like sees yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, you know, given that in the beginning he, he, 
the long diatribe in the in the shower where he's like Patrick Bateman doesn't exist. He's an you know right. abstraction. You may shake my hand and feel flesh, but I'm not really there. She's the one person who does treat him yeah. like he is. Yeah, and it's interested in him for him. Yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, if, if he was going to spare anybody. But didn't he know that before he took her to dinner? Before They didn't make it to dinner. Before he invited her over for drinks with the gun to the back of her head. Well, or was was e- that the plan the entire time? Evelyn, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, maybe. Because he didn't make the reservation. They weren't going to get to dinner. Did he not make the reservation? No, they no. denied him the reservation on the phone. He pretended on the phone oh, that he had made it. Well, because yeah. he told her he was going to take her to Dorsia. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Only Paul Allen can get you in there. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, I, I definitely, I mean, I, I think his intent is to kill her, right? I mean, he brings out the yeah. nail gun. He's, he, he wants to do it. But then I think there is this moment. And then I think that kind of also... Duct tape. <laughs> for taping things. <laughs> for ta- that also you know sort of ties into what we were talking about earlier with like were these other events ones where he imagined this way of killing them but then he pulled back maybe at the last moment or did or didn't quite follow through with it well we see at least with gene that that did happen at least once where he went right to the edge and then pulled back for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and and and, you know here i think there is some justification um yeah you said it earlier anthony this is one that i think just sort of grows in time and in time like it feels like i mean it's funny that it was (coughs) excuse me even though the film when it when it was released was already kind of a time capsule of a film in the sense that it was depicting this era that had just come slightly before it 13 years yeah Um, but in part because it just took a while to develop the film and you know and, and all that but uh, but nonetheless, felt like a time capsule. Now, yes, maybe that's still there, but it's no worse than it was in the, in no. the time that it came out. It, 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 this film increases in esteem every time I watch it, and I love a film like that. Yeah, it's 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 some cutting commentary. It is some dark satire. Performances. Um, it's great performances. Great performances. Great soundtrack. However, you want to think about it, whether or not it's bringing out some of the most superficial pop to kind of match with these superficial uh, people or, or just reminding you of some and, of that. And his earnest reciting of these reviews that he's memorized. It's just so yeah. funny. But, yeah. if he, but if he is just a reflection, you know, an, an abstraction and a reflection of what, you know, he, he does what, it, what he has to do, right, to maintain status, maintain image, mm-hmm. it almost makes sense that he would just sound like a Rolling Stone review when he was talking. <laughs> you know, sure. he, like whoever yeah. whoever was the you know, popular person writing about music, that would be the opinion that he would glean off of this because right. that's what you do. Yeah. The, though it does mark him a little bit outside because when he when he does his Whitney Houston talk, uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're kind of like, you really listen to Whitney Houston? You know, so so there's a little disconnect. Little but yeah, the, it's it's what what a what a rich film. I'm glad you, you gave us a good excuse to, uh, or, or willing to go along with us on this good excuse to sort of... Uh, Get, get into it again because you know it, it it is fantastic but again don't go here for deep character psychology but go here for exploring those kind of troubling ideas about what 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 does capitalism drive you to folks what are you really <laughs> working for here and what are you getting out of that system because bateman he's getting he's getting a lot of dark things out of that system well, I feel like we only scratched the surface of this I, movie. We talked about it for forty-five minutes. No, or I mean, I, yeah, it, it, it's impossible. I think to fully—it's so layered, it's so nuanced. Yeah, yeah, you know. so good. 
Yeah. So good. Mary Heron did a masterful job here. Agreed. Christian Bale as well. Um, it's almost as if they are, you know, doctors oh, of the geez. cinema here. Wow. <laughs> Boo. Um, <laughs> so, so does it make sense that we're drinking Dr. Juice while we're talking about this absolute sort of expert making of film? I make a motion that Anthony's new nickname when we see him socially is Dr. Juice. <laughs> Dr. Juice? Yeah. All right. Uh, our fourth visit to Parish Brewing, and I... Uh, I'm happy we visited. This is one of those hazies. You know, we we enjoyed another hazy. This is a double hazy episode. We haven't had one in a while. I'm I'm kind of happy. It's a good good way to do it. Um, th- that that first hazy, I think, totally. My review stands. It does a great job. I think I'm going to enjoy that one again in the future, and it's going to be easy for me to get. This to me does step it up just a little bit in terms of. I do think the mouthfeel, hmm, I used it. Uh, I do think the mouthfeel is a little bit more where I want a hazy to be ideally. It's a little bit chewier. It's got a little bit more body to it. Uh, I think the flavor is still there. It's not maybe, I actually think the real ale was a little more punchy with its kind of tropical notes. I think I was getting like a little bit more, mm-hmm. I don't know, pineapple-y kind of. This one, I think, is a little subtler there, but it's really nice and citrusy. I'm getting like a nice, you know, kind of orange zest feel from it. I I really, I mean, Parrish has impressed me time and time again. This is another one. I'm going to suggest that what makes this beer a little bit better also is the lower ABV. Mm. That the 6%, they're not trying to knock you over the head. No. And the flavor's therefore a little bit more subtle. Maybe. I, when planning a trip, to uh, New Orleans area. Oh, yeah? And I look forward to maybe dropping in and picking some things up and bringing them back that we can't get on the shelf. Please do. When you read the description, did did you say juice bomb? Yes. Okay. I, I thought so. You I, agree? I, see, I don't agree. Oh. Um, yeah, so I like the other one better. Highly crushable okay. juice bomb. Okay, well. <laughs> I heard I heard the juice bomb. I don't, I don't feel like this is... You, Juicy. See, I I agree that the the first one was a little bit more fruit forward yep. with the with the hot profile. I, I think yeah. uh, I think Joe uh, gave me unreasonable expectations. Hey, I was reading they, off the that was their, website. You know, their marketing. <laughs> uh, but it is good. Did you get a? Did the pour grow a rich cantaloupe hue with a thick frosted haze <laughs> and soft mouthfeel? <laughs> oh, marketers! Yeah, well, hey, the, the, you know you gotta, but you get that you gotta describe experience Certainly. to people. You gotta, you gotta use some kind of word. It. No, I'm gonna f- say this is superior to that real as well. Uh, I, but it, 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 there's a little bit of apples and oranges. Not to get confused with any kind of fruity. <laughs> yeah. I, I like both a lot. I'm yeah, glad that Anthony agreed. preferred the real ale. I'm glad that you preferred this one. And I'd say I'd take either one. I don't know. I might give it a little bit higher to the parish just because I do think I like the, the, the body of it. But it's close. And they're both terrific beers. I'm glad that we got to drink them both tonight. I'm glad that we got to do these um, these films. American Psycho was one that I hadn't feels watched like we're doing, in a very feels long time. like we're time. doing thinking films again. I mean, <laughs> not that we, you know, but you try. You, you try something. Okay, yeah. what are they going to do? What are they, they Good, good films. It's a good excuse to talk about next week's films. Uh, we're gonna some more heady films. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the menu will drop in most uh, nationwide theaters this Friday. So we're gonna be doing that. Looking forward to it. As you know, if you're a Discord user of ours, on our Discord server, 
there is a whole sub server there, a whole what do you call that on Discord? The whole Dave's, channel, I think. Channel, Dave's, yeah, Dave's, Dave's country, country kitchen. Dave's that's country right. kitchens, both country and kitchen, alliterated with K's, the way that it should be. <laughs> but that's where uh, many of the folks that are on there will drop pictures of stuff that they're eating and cooking because we kind of roll that way. Uh, Discord, you can go to our website and find out more about it. You know, David. I love to say it every week. Anthony, thanks again, man, for joining. Well, us. will you join us for after hours? I absolutely will. Oh, fantastic. I, I yeah. Th- th- this this is always fun to have you on. I hope it's not the last time um, because it will not be always good conversations. Um, and and the conversations don't end here, folks. They don't because you can find us on social media. Joe's already mentioned some of this, but I'll go ahead. We're on Facebook, folks. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. You can find that chat on Discord under the name Beer in a Movie. The conversation continues. Find it. Jump on. We'd love to have you uh, chime in. It's, it's a lot it's, of fun. It is. Um, we've also mentioned this after hours thing, folks. That's where we extend the conversation ourselves in the Patreon subscriber only bonus episodes we do every single week. So uh, you can sign up there at patreon.com slash beer in a movie podcast. And we know you're already listening on your favorite podcast platform, but before you leave, just please rate us and leave a review. We'll sure you'll make it five stars, but uh, we we need you to do that just so that other folks can hear us and it'll it'll put them before their ears. It's that's how the algorithm does what it does. Can do what it do. I don't, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. Carlos, sorry. Um, you just experienced another puzzlingly open-ended episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. So is this a podcast for a grumpy brand or a smiley brand? (laughs) 